Good morning. I am very glad to be breathing American air again. Glad to be back here in the United States, back here in Denton with you. I have loved my time abroad. I've loved the time that I spent in Nigeria. We visited a lot of churches and talked to a lot of people, uh, got to experience a lot of different things than we normally experience. One of the things that the thought occurred to me as I was sitting there is how nice it is to know the words to the songs we're singing and know the songs because we've been singing songs in Ibu and Epic in different languages for two weeks and it's nice to know the songs. I want to talk with you a little bit about uh, the apostles. This is the last sermon in our series on the apostles. We've been talking about the apostles. We've had different lessons on each one of them. And I'm supposed to give you kind of an overview or a summary. And what I'm going to do is we're not going to talk about, you know, what lessons we learn from every apostle or all that. But instead, I'm going to give you what I think is a overall summary view of uh, the lives that they lived and the things that they did. You know, in the Bible, Jesus told the disciples this, the apostles. He said, they will put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God service. You know, before I take a trip to Nigeria, there's always someone, usually more than one person, will come to me and will say, you know, I sure wish you weren't going over there. That's dangerous. I wish you weren't going to make this trip. My wife doesn't ever like me making the trip because she's got concerns about my safety. No one has ever come to me and said, you know, Michael, when you go over there, I just want you to know that there are going to be people who will think they're doing God a service if they kill you. And they're going to cast you out of the churches. And they're... Nobody's ever told me that. You know... This was very, you might say, prophetic. This was true. All of these apostles, these men, they had a chance to live their lives in a lot of different ways. They had a chance. After Jesus died, in fact, Peter said, I'm going back fishing. He was a fisherman for a living. I mean, he was earning money. He had a chance to do that. He could earn money and support his family and provide for them. He had a chance for that to be the focus of his life. The Apostle Paul, before he became a Christian, he was an up-and-comer in the Jewish religion. He could have been one of the leaders of the Jewish religion. He had that opportunity. But instead of that, Peter, the Apostle Peter, we know that he had a family because Jesus raised his mother-in-law from the dead. We know that. These guys, in fact, the Scriptures tell us all these guys were married. They had families. They could have spent their time and their devotion and their effort on their families, which is good. It's valuable to spend time earning a living and valuable to do the best you can in your career. And it's valuable to spend time with your family. But that's not what these men chose. These men all chose something different. In Revelation chapter 2, Jesus said to the church, He said, Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. For most of my life, when I read that, or quoted that, or put it in a sermon, my point was this. You need to be faithful all of your life until the very end. You need to stay faithful to God. Don't ever quit going to church. Don't ever quit serving Him. And all that's true, but that's not really what this is talking about. These people were under persecution, and He was saying, you be faithful to the point of it costing your life. You be faithful to death. 
You be faithful even if you have to die for being faithful. He's not just saying, so as long as you live until you die in a go old age as a, as a faithful. That's not what he's saying. He's saying if it costs you everything, including your life. That's how faithful you have to be if you want a crown of life. He says, be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. So let's look at these guys right quick. The scriptures tell us that Andrew, he was an evangelistic apostle. He was the brother of Simon Peter. He was the first disciple of Jesus that's named. He was there when Jesus was baptized. And he talked to John and John told him who Jesus was. And he went to Jesus and he said, Master, where do you live? And Jesus said, come with me and I'll show you. And he went home and spent the night with Jesus. And the first thing he did he first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah. First thing he did is he went and found his brother. He was evangelistic minded. He's always doing evangelistic kinds of things when you read about this guy. The Bible tells us that he was a first disciple of Jesus, a brother of Simon Peter. The Bible does not tell us how this guy died. In fact, the Bible only tells us how one apostle of Jesus died. And we'll, we'll get to that here in a minute. But history tells us that this man, Andrew, was crucified in Greece for his faith to Jesus. For being faithful. He was faithful unto death. They put him on a cross. Put nails in him until he died, just like Jesus. There was another one. It was his brother, Simon Peter. Simon Peter is probably one of the two most well-known of the apostles, Simon Peter, it was a man of God, and I called him also a man of failure because he messed up really, really bad. He cursed and swore that he didn't know Jesus. He betrayed him. He turned against him there at Jesus' most difficult hour of need, but he had a tender heart and a tender conscience, and he immediately wept bitterly because he knew of his failure, and it, it affected him, it, tr- it touched him and changed him. And just a little while after that, he stood and preached the, fir- the first gospel sermon. He was the brother of Andrew, fisherman, and he was given the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Jesus asked the disciples when they went to the coast of Caesarea Philippi, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Oh, you're Jeremiah or Elijah, one of the prophets. That's who people were saying he was. He said, Who do you say I am? And Peter, he was always the one with just quick answer. He said, You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Do you believe that? I believe it. Peter believed it. He was bold. He was a man of failure, but he was also a man of God. He was given the keys to the kingdom after he said that. Jesus said, Peter, I say unto you that you're, you're a pebble, but on this rock of the confession that you just made, the rock that he's the son of the living God, I'm going to build my church, and he said, I'm going to give you the keys. And Peter was the first one to preach. He's the first one to preach to the Jews, the first one to preach to the Gentiles. He opened the kingdom of God to you and me. We're Gentiles, aren't we? I don't think we have any Jewish people here this morning. We're all Gentiles. He opened the kingdom for us. This man, Peter, was crucified in Rome, history tells us. And when they went to crucify him, he requested that they crucify him upside down because he said he wasn't worthy To die like Jesus died. History tells us that's what they did. He loved not his life unto death. 
Philip, a man that was surprised by God. I call him that because in the feeding of the 5,000, there are all these people around and Jesus says, let's feed them. And Philip goes, Lord, <laughs> that we don't have near enough money to feed all these people. He had no idea that Jesus could feed 5,000 people with just a few loaves and fishes. He was surprised by God. But he was a man who was faithful. He was a friend of Nathaniel. He's the one who went and got Nathaniel and said, I found the Messiah and brought him to brought him brought Nathaniel to Jesus. Bethsaida was his home. Well, it says the home of Peter, but that should be the home of Philip. It was his home. It was where he was from. And history tells us that he was beheaded in Hierapolis. Now, Hierapolis was one of three cities that were together, a tri-city area. There was Colossae, Laodicea, and Hierapolis. The letter in your Bible to the Colossians was to the church at Colossae. Philemon, which there's a letter from Paul to Philemon in your Bible. Philemon, the church in Colossae met in his home. Hierapolis was a city right there by that. There were churches in Hierapolis, Laodicea, and Colossae. And he was there working and preaching the gospel. And history tells us that he was beheaded there. He said, Lord, show us the Father and it is sufficient for us. Would you be satisfied with your life if you could just see the Father through the Lord Jesus? This man was and he gave his life. For that James, a man of ambition and courage, James was the brother of John, and he was a man of great courage and great ambition. They they had a fishing business with their father and probably Peter and and uh, and Andrew. They all fished there together. They worked together. And these this man here was a man who one time they didn't get the reception they wanted. And he asked the Lord, he said, Lord, do you want that we should command fire to come down from heaven and just burn these people up? <laughs> have you ever felt that way a little bit? Yeah, sometimes we have. Normally, it's not as righteous a reason as he had, but he had a righteous reason. They were rejecting the Lord. He wanted to call down fire. We might say drop bombs on them, destroy them, Lord. The Lord rebuked him for that. He said, that's not what we do. He was... Uh, the brother of John, he was from Gethsemane, where, is, where Peter and John and James all lived. And he was beheaded in Judah, or Judea, by Herod. This is the only one that's recorded in the Bible. He was a very early martyr. Herod put him to death. The Bible says killed him with a sword, cut off his head. Next one we talked about John, the Apostle of Love. We call him the Apostle of Love because if you read the book of 1 John, he talks about love, love, love. He said God is love. God is love. He talks about love. He said greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. He quoted Jesus as saying that the greatest love is to lay down your life for others. He was the brother of James. He was the disciple whom Jesus loved. As you read the Gospel of John, he never calls himself John. He always says the disciple whom Jesus loved. Now, that'd be a pretty neat relationship to have, wouldn't it? To say the disciple that Jesus loved and know that you were talking about you. He died a natural death in exile on the Isle of Patmos. He was exiled uh, under a Roman persecution on Patmos, and Jesus allowed him to die a natural death. There was a discussion between Jesus and Peter and John about this. 
And Peter, you know, he was quick to speak up. Peter was not real happy that John wasn't going to die like the rest of them. And Jesus said, what's it to you if I wish for him to remain to my coming? And rebuked Peter again. We told Peter, he said, when you're old, people are going to bind you and take you where you don't want to go, signifying the death that he would suffer. But John died of an old age in exile as a servant of God. The the history tells us that they did attempt to kill him on more than one occasion. History says on one occasion he was given a cup of something to drink that had poison in it, but he didn't die. Another time in history they say that he was dropped in boiling oil, but it didn't kill him. So not that he didn't suffer, but he, w- he didn't die uh, as a result of his faith. Thomas was martyred in India, history tells us. He was the honest doubter. He's the one who wasn't there when the, Jesus appeared to the disciples. And he says, I won't believe it if I, unless I touch it with my hands. And Jesus appeared and said, Thomas, and of course, he didn't have to touch it. He just bowed down. He said, my Lord and my God. He was, he was a doubter, but he was honest. You know, sometimes we talk to people who are doubters who aren't honest because you answer that question, they've got another one. You answer that one, they've got another one. You answer that one, they've got another one. Then they go back to the first question again. Sometimes we have doubt that's not honest doubt. His doubt was honest. And he needed evidence and he was given evidence. He He's also called Didymus, which uh, they tell us is the, is the Greek word or... Uh, yeah, I believe it was Greek, yeah. That was the Greek word for twin. So it's possible that he was a twin, that he had a twin brother. We don't know for sure, but we know history tells us he went to India and preached the gospel in India and was martyred and put to death. History doesn't tell us how. Matthew, he was the outcast who found a place. I called him the outcast because he was a publican. He was a tax collector. And you know, publicans are listed in a lot of lists of bad guys in the Bible. Jesus, when he tells a parable about how pride and arrogance were a terrible problem, he talks about a publican or a tax collector and a Pharisee. And Jesus painted the tax collector as a man who had a lot of sin in his life, but he smote on himself and he said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I believe Matthew was this kind of man. He was an humble man, even though he had uh, sin in his life. He wrote the gospel of Matthew, and the Bible tells us that he... He uh, he lived his life every time he's mentioned. He's always mentioned as being there as a faithful follower of Jesus, even though he was kind of the outcast among the group. History tells us that he was martyred in Ethiopia, that he went down to Ethiopia and preached the gospel all down through through Africa. Thaddeus, he's the guy that I preached on, the apostle with a question. Jesus was telling the disciples he was going to die, and he said, I'm going to manifest myself to you and not to the world. And his answer to the Lord was, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? He said, how are you going to do that? And Jesus, his strange answer was, if you love me, you'll obey me, and I'll be with you. And if you don't obey me, it's because you don't love me, and my Father and I won't be with you. It's the way he was going to manifest himself to the apostles. Judas, he's many times called Judas, not Iscariot, because he was Thaddeus, but he was also called Judas. He was also called Lebius. So he has three names in the Bible. And I don't know if one of them was a surname. We don't really know about that. But what we do know is every time he's called Judas, the writers want to distinguish him from the bad guy, Judas Iscariot. 
Okay, the next guy was Nathaniel. Nathaniel was an honest man. The Bible says he was an Israelite indeed in whom there is no guile. There's no dishonesty in him. He didn't have any guile. He was a good, honest man. And when Philip came and brought him to the Lord, his first response, Philip told him that it was Jesus of Nazareth. And he said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? (laughs) But he came and he met the Lord and he found out that, yes, it can. He's also called Bartholomew, which means the son of Ptolemy. It's possible that this disciple had royal blood in him. In 2 Samuel, it talks about this Ptolemy. The Bible, not the Bible, but history tells us that Nathaniel was skinned alive and then beheaded in India. That'd be bad, wouldn't it? You ever hit your knuckle and just peel the skin back? They skinned him alive, history tells us, for being a Christian. James the Younger, not James the brother of John. He was the anonymous apostle. An Israelite in whom there's no guile, that shouldn't have been on there because that's from the previous slide. The the truth is, we don't know much about this guy. He's the least known of all the apostles. He was the son of Alphaeus, and history tells us he was crucified in Egypt. He was the anonymous apostle. You know, one of the things in Nigeria, everywhere I went, they would introduce us to the congregation. And when they came to introduce me, the guy who was doing most of the introductions, he would always start with my dad. And he would tell the story about how my dad went to Nigeria and opened the road of the church over there years ago and preached. And now I'm still doing that. And I told my mom about that this morning and she laughed and she said, yeah, your dad's famous. And uh, she said, you will be, too, in Nigeria and laughed about it. Would you be willing to be a servant of God who was just totally anonymous? Would you? You know, a lot of times we want we want recognition. We want people to appreciate us. Be anonymous. Whatever it takes to serve God. That's the way this man was. This man we here was crucified in Egypt, history tells us. He went to Egypt and was crucified for preaching Jesus there. Simon, he was a man of zeal. He was called Simon the Zealot many times. Zealous means fervent in spirit. And he was uh, from Canaan, which was his homeland. He was crucified, they tell us, in England. That he headed up to the northwest from where they were. And went through what we call Europe today and ended up in England. Simon the Zealot. There was Matthias, who was the replacement apostle. He was the guy who replaced Judas, who hanged himself. Now, I, I didn't list Judas in this list today. We know Judas hung himself Um, this guy was with Jesus from his baptism. He's never mentioned other than Acts chapter 1. He may have been one of the 70, we don't know, but we know that from the time Jesus was baptized, Matthias was with them because when they said, let's pick another apostle, they said, it needs to be somebody who's been with us since the time of the baptism of Jesus. They talked about two guys, and this guy was the one who was chosen. He was chosen to replace Judas, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. He was stoned in Ethiopia, which was an area of Turkey or Greece. And uh, they, several things in history talk about him being stoned and then beaten with clubs until he died. Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles. 
The Apostle Paul wrote the first wrote 13 or 14 New Testament books, depending on whether he wrote Hebrews. And we really don't know if he wrote Hebrews or not. As Saul, he persecuted the church. He hated the church. He says, I thought within myself that I should do many things contrary to the name of Jesus, which things I did. He was there a leading figure at the martyr of Stephen, the first Christian martyr that we know of. He was breathing out fire and threatening and slaughter against the disciples, so much so that all the Christians in Jerusalem left Jerusalem. They fled. They were getting away. You know, this time in Nigeria, one of the things that I noticed that I've not seen in the past is there were quite a few Muslims in the southern part of Nigeria where we go. The women with the burqa and and all of that wearing it around. And I ask about that. You know why they're there? Because of all the persecution that Boko Haram is doing against Muslims that aren't as radical and crazy as them up in the north. And guess what they're doing? They're fleeing. They're running. They're trying to get away from persecution. People do that. People try to get away from persecution. And they ran from Saul. Saul said this after he became an apostle. He said, I was crucified or I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And history tells us that he was beheaded by Nero. You all know who Nero was, the guy who burned Rome and blamed it on the Christians. He was beheaded by Nero in Rome. Now, this is quite a list of guys, and this is quite a list of, you know, just some basic information about them. But what happened? The thing I want to focus on and notice about all these guys is this. Revelation twelve eleven says this. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. They did not love their lives to the death. Do you love your life? Do you like being alive? Do you like? Yes. (laughs) Amen. We all love life, don't we? These men didn't love their lives to the death. They were willing to give up their lives for Christianity. That's the thing we hold most precious, isn't it? Is our life. And they were willing to give that up. For their faith in Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul said this. I am ready to be poured out as a drink offering. He was going to die. He knew he was going to die. He was going to be beheaded. I don't know how much of the details he knew. But he told Timothy. I'm ready to be poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure is at hand. I'm about to die. And he said this. I have fought the good fight. And I have finished the race. And I have kept the faith. And finally, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Now, the big thing that I want to draw out of this is this. I want to ask you a question. Do you believe these guys wasted their lives? I mean, there's no doubt every one of them could have lived and not had to go through this persecution and not had to go through all the trouble that they went through, not have to suffer like they suffered. There's no doubt that all of them would, except John, would have lived longer lives than they lived. Every one of them. Did they waste their lives? 
I don't believe they did. I believe they chose the good thing. You know, when, when I think about my life and I think about the things that I busy myself with, you know, the things you spend your day on every day is what you spend your life on. <laughs> because your life's made up of your days. And the things that you fill your days with are the things you're filling your life with. The things you use your days on are the things you're using your life on. And what I want to ask you today is don't waste your life. Don't waste it. Don't spend it on making money or, or things so that when you get old, you can relax and go move to Florida or Harlingen and be close to a beach and go count seashells and just enjoy your final few years here. That's wasting your life. Because what good is there in that? Comfort and enjoyment here? Don't waste your life. You've only got one life, one chance. I'm 53 years old, still younger than Yancey, <laughs> for another few days. <laughs> we were talking about that on the way back here. You know, if I live... What? No, I'm not. Not till May 28th. I'm not... I'm not even losing my mind yet. I was being corrected, but I'm not even losing my mind yet. I can tell you this. Maybe I'll live to 70. My dad's 80. Maybe I'll live to 80. A big chunk of my life's already gone, and I hate to tell you, but I've wasted a fair amount of it. I've used it on so many things that mean nothing in the big picture. These men didn't waste their life. Now, I don't know... Uh, you in particular, I don't know how old you are or where you're at, except I know how old Yancey is, but the, re the rest of it, I don't know how old you are necessarily, but I know this. You've got one life to live, and you don't know when it's going to end. Your heart may stop beating before the end of this service today. You don't know. Your life may end before you get home today. You don't know. You've got a choice, you've got a chance. There is no real security in this world. There's no security. You, all of us could die at a moment's notice. There's no real security. So why not take a risk and live your life for something that's bigger than you? Live your life. Use your life. Spend your life on something that's more valuable and more important than a good retirement. More valuable or more important than bragging rights on winning your football fantasy league. More valuable and more important than a good meal or a good night's sleep. Don't waste your life. That's the message I get from these people. And so when it comes to reading God's Word and you got a chance to do that and a choice to do that or something else, read a little of God's Word. That's not wasting your life. you got a chance to spend some of your hard-earned money to help someone that needs it. Spend it and help them. That's not wasting your money. That's helping. You got a chance to take your afternoon that you wanted to go do your kind of stuff and you can do something to serve someone else. Do something to serve someone else. That's not wasting your day. That matters.
Don't waste your life. I hope you're encouraged to think about that some. The rest of this week, think about what, how you're using your life. That's what I get out of the lives of the apostles. We get all the things they taught. We have all the people whose souls will be in heaven. But what I get out of that is these guys didn't love their lives unto death. These guys took a risk. And the risk cost them something. That's what a risk is. It's something that has a chance of costing you something that's of value to you. Take a risk. Let it be costly to you. Let it cost you. But take that risk only for Jesus. Because that's where the real reward is. My house isn't here. It's not over in Prosper. My house is in heaven. My life isn't here. It's not on this earth. My life is in heaven. Let that be your home and your life too. If you have a spiritual need, we do offer a song of invitation if you'll make that need known while we stand and sing.